will go off. Don't worry. It's still on.
Good morning. Welcome to church. Welcome to Advent Week 2. Yeah, I know. You can woohoo again. Welcome to Advent Week 2. Yeah, would you stand with me? We taught this to you last week. Uh, Let's try it again. This is going to be our theme song for Advent this year. It goes like this. You are matchless in grace and mercy. There is nowhere we can hide from your love. You are steadfast, never failing. You are faithful. All creation is in awe. You're the healer for the sick and the broken. You are comfort for every heart that mourns. Our King, our Savior forever. For eternity we will sing of all you've done. For eternity we will sing of all you've done. We
Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Each week, millions of people around the world gather to hear the words of God. Written originally in ancient languages, the words of God are still being translated with careful precision today. At first, God's word was only spoken, passed down from generation to generation, then written, copied by hand, and finally printed on the very first printing press. And today, in every form of communication possible, the message of God is graciously given to any who will receive it. Like festive greenery, silver bells or candy canes, these words and stories from long ago of a baby born that would change the world have come to define the Christmas season. We sing them in carols, scribble them in Christmas cards, and read them aloud in church. In this season of love, joy, hope, and peace, what we as humans claim to cherish most feels more and more elusive. Peace is hard. It can be difficult to find it within ourselves in the midst of the chaos and noise that surrounds us in this world. But this peace is not our own. It comes from God. And God's word calls us to trust him. He invites us to believe his promises and his message. The prophet Isaiah of long ago understood that a message given is not necessarily a message believed. To truly trust and hear in such a way that it resonates within our very souls, we must be at peace with God and his detailed and exacting plan for our lives. We must let go and let God take control, or we must surrender control to him. So have hope, for there is a peace that can only be found in the one who is coming again. There is a peace for me and you, and here is the truest and deepest truth of all. When the Lord is at the center of our lives, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding. A peace so profound and deep within our very being that we want to shout it from the rooftops. Go tell it on the mountain, if you will. And whether it is being shouted from the mountaintop or out the front door to your neighbor, it is worth proclaiming. His word says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It also says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Just as miraculous as a star or an angel's voice, the Bible is God's message inviting us to come to Christ. In Him, we can know true peace, hope, joy, and love this season and forevermore. A powerful, miraculous journey begins when those who hear the message believe what they hear and put that belief into action. Let us be peacemakers this Christmas season. May we not simply celebrate this Christmas season, but trust and follow Him, knowing that we are His and He is guiding our very steps. And that peace is the greatest gift of all. Today we light the candle of peace, not as a denial of the peace of the places in our world and lives that lack peace, but as a reminder of our call to peace, even in the midst of turmoil. Mm-hmm. 
We know that the path towards peace isn't easy. The path towards peace isn't smooth. The path towards peace is risky, takes courage, and and challenges the broken realities of the world. For peace to come, we must get to the hard work of aligning a world made crooked by sin and with the straight paths of the kingdom of God. For peace to come, there is creative work that makes valleys of despair into mountains of hope. For peace to come, there is repetitive work that sands away injustice to bring about the smoothness of of equity. Without work, without the work, without the challenge, and without upsetting the status quo, peace will not come. We remember that Christ came as the Prince of Peace, but we also long for the day when Christ will return and we see the fulfillment of true peace in the world around us.
As we come to a time of prayer, this last uh, these last couple of weeks have been different. As God has said some stuff to me that uh, you don't always want to hear. You ever have that in your life? I, I made my, my wife's from Michigan, so we went up back up to Michigan for Thanksgiving, and I was like, "What are we doing? It's horrible up here. It's cold. I'm never doing this again." But through that, and through many other things, and through talking with some of you. I realize that we have expectations and desires that aren't always necessarily what God wants for our lives. And so as we come to time of prayer, um, I'm reminded of some I know who are recovering from illness. A good friend here, his, his mom is hospitalized and it's not part of the expectations I know he would have. And others of you are going through things, not the expectations fulfilled that you want even here at this place you're like uh, just not fulfilling my expectations maybe even as a job family relationships so as we pray today I want our if we say anything to God let's say God help me to live in your expectations and to realize the things that you want to happen in your kingdom coming that they would be fulfilled and that my things that get in the way of you, God, might I might learn to, to brush them out of the way. I know that when Jesus came as a baby, that was not part of the expectations. They wanted a mighty ruler to come and crush the enemy. Instead, they sent a little baby, pretty harmless, who from the beginning was destined to die on a cross. It's kind of weird. I don't know if you meant to do this, Pastor, but... Uh, I look at the shadow of the baby up on the cross up there. I saw that the other night. I was like, wow. If that wasn't on purpose, that's some good artistic stuff done there. Our expectations aren't always the best thing for us. So let's pray and let God speak to us. Uh, let's, let's just start out by listening to him. Let's bow our heads and uh, just see what he has to say. Father, we praise you. For you, uh, you understand what's going on, going on a lot better than we do. And so we praise you as you still love us despite our inward focus. And that you're with us through everything. And when things don't meet our expectations, Lord, you're still there saying, hey, I've got something even better. So I pray, Lord, that we during this season when we celebrate the coming of you in the flesh here to us to show us a better way that we would listen to you. That we would see you, understand you, be in relationship with you unlike any time ever before. That your kingdom may come on this earth in a way that just just knocks our socks off and uh, just shows us an adventure that we just what we never imagined possible. So Lord, we open our hearts to you. We're going to do our best to put all the junk aside and make space for you as you just want to show us how great life with you, this life that you dream for us, how great it can be when we let you run it. We praise you, Father. 
And I look forward to everything that we're going to hear today as you just continue to love us in so many different ways. In your name, amen. Amen. Guys, we come to a time in the service that here at Portland Church of Nazarene we call Passing the Peace. It's, it makes it easier this morning, right, as the whole theme is peace. Um, you know, this is probably when it comes to, you know, getting the, the sermons together and the band and everything like that, this is probably the easiest part of the service. Because the peace is not from like a, the peace is not like a peace that we can give to one another where it's like, hey man, let's have, let's be at peace. We got an argument going on. Let's just, let's squash the beef. That's a lot of us. We register peace as that, right? Squashing the beef, not having problems with another person. But this part of the service is easy because the peace that we talk about is the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. And so it's already, it's here, it's his, and it's from him and it's to us. And so if you would stand up as we venture on to a moment where we get begin to pass the peace with one another but i want to remind you that the peace that we passed this morning does not come from man but it comes from jesus christ it is a peace that the bible describes that passes all understanding that in the midst of chaos or whatever it is that you might be going through in your life that literally there could be a peace that comes that overcomes you even whatever it is that you're going through And that peace is only from Jesus Christ. And so if you will, may I be the first to tell you this morning. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Go and pass that peace with one another this morning. If you're watching us online, you you need to be in you need to be here. There's just something about community and connecting and I hate cutting this off. Everyone's talking and saying hi to each other and it's so good to see your faces. It's so good to see some of our snowbirds coming back. Welcome home and and my name's Garen. I am one of the pastors here and I get to bring announcements today. Da, 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 da. So good news to everyone. Well, thank you. Uh, the first announcement I want to tell you is about our Christmas Eve service. I'm so excited. We are going to have our Christmas Eve service. Last year we had it outside, and this year I think we're going to be inside, um, assuming everything goes as plans, and it's going to be awesome. Hot cocoa at 5.30, and I've already uh, watched uh, our uh, Pastor Tim was had an interview with, with uh, Eric Burris. Uh, Friday was it? He was like a Facebook phenom. If you know Eric Burris, the West Two uh, meteorologist, and they had like a seven-hour conversation. It was really kind of crazy. But anyway, 
Well, yeah, yeah. But, and it was really good. I encourage you to see. But one of the things that he told us at the end was, if the long-range projection is correct, we will have a cold front coming through the 23rd or the 24th. Now, cold front to us means like 40s and 50s, but still, that's perfect for hot chocolate. There have been many times when it's been like 82 and we're drinking hot chocolate and just like, what's going on? Christmas Eve is going to be, do what? We might even throw in some coffee. Yes, ma'am. We'll try that, Miss Janice. But 5.30 is going to be hot cocoa. 6 o'clock is a service. And we have it at that time so that if you have to work on Christmas Eve, you can still make it to our service. And we also have it at that time so that we are finished before a lot of the family traditions start. So you can come to church, you can come to Christmas Eve, and then you can still make it over to your in-laws and argue with them. So I invite you here for just an hour or so of peace before the chaos starts uh, No, I'm kidding. I know you all love your families. That's just a joke. Uh, The second announcement that we have is Sunday school uh, is is what we're calling this class. Uh, You might call it a life group or a small group or community group, but we're so excited that Ken is starting his class up in January. We're not sure which room it will be in yet, but it'll start in January. It'll be from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock. Ken, stand up or or wave your hand or something. He has curriculum that we would love to order for you. It won't cost you anything, but we need to know if we need to order it. So if you are planning on on starting in January with him, it'd be great if you let him know so that we can order a book for you. And speaking of him, this past week, he's my disc golf buddy, and he got a hole-in-one, and I'm just very proud of him. And very envious of him. That has nothing to do with anything in the service. I just, I was proud of him. So, good job. (laughs) So, now you can go back and watch this. So, I mean, you're here, but... um, The the third thing is our Christmas offering. If you're visiting with us, um, every every fall, every November, December, we do a Christmas offering. And we we really want to be intentional about giving. We, We have... Some projects around here that we try to do, but the majority of the money goes to missions around the world and missions around our community. And so um, I encourage you, if you're a regular with us, I encourage you to pray about what God would have you give this year to the Christmas offering. I'll I'll tell you what our family is doing. I think I said this last week. We we figure out how much we're going to spend on each kid, and then we give that amount to the church as well. Because we know that that is going to go and that's going to bless many, many people by what we give. And I'm excited because today we have, to talk to us for a few minutes, Dana Franchetti. And she is, I always want to say Battistelli. So Dana Franchetti. And she's going to come up here. Dana is starting a new work, a church plant that will be launching this fall right outside Orlando, about 45 minutes from here, an hour from here. Yeah. And... She is where part of our Christmas offering is going. And so I want to hand the mic over to Dana and let her talk to you for just a couple minutes. And then I want you to pray about how can we give to the Christmas offering and support Dana as she launches a church where there is no church. So uh, so this is, I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, come on up here. I also, let me give you a little bit of background on her. Dana interned here when she was in college. Some of you may go, oh, I know her. I recognize her face. Dana was here. She put up with Justin 
while she was here. And yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, but she has worked at churches all around the U.S., and now she's here and doing something new, and I'm going to give the mic over to her now. Thank you so much. Oh, you guys, it's so cool to be here. Uh, I love Advent, so it's so nice to get to worship with you guys in Advent. It is uh, surreal. I stood right here and gave my very first sermon after I graduated college, and so it's like it's like blowing my mind a little bit to to be back here and uh, to see Justin like grown up with kids and not throwing dodgeballs at me. It's amazing. Um, So I want to kind of just give you guys a little bit of insight into who I am, um, what in the world church planting is, kind of the why, and um, just some information about that. And I'll stick around after service if you guys have any questions. I would love to talk with you about it. But to understand um, kind of my journey and why I am here and uh, church planting, you've got to know a little bit about me. So I came to faith. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I came to faith when I was in third grade. My friend, her parents, um, they needed free childcare in the summer. So they would sign her up for every vacation Bible school in our county. And one summer she said, Dana, why don't you come with me to these vacation Bible schools? So I went to like five of them. And I didn't know anything about Jesus. I didn't know anything about the church. But one evening uh, we were at one vacation Bible school and they were doing a VeggieTales vacation Bible school, which is just the most fun. And we sang a song called God is Bigger Than the Boogeyman. And I can still sing every single word of that song. Um, And I gave my life to the Lord that day. Looking back on my life, I can see how from that day, God just continued to put people in my life who my friends, or more likely their parents, would pull me along with them to church. They would invite me to go with them. I was kind of in and out of the church growing up. But when I was 15, well, really before that, when I was probably in like middle school, I started to develop a prayer life. And so I would pray things like, I would say, like, God, I promise as soon as I'm old enough, I'm going to go to church every chance I can. And in my mind, old enough was like college. So when I was in college, I was going to go to church. But God had other plans for me. And so when I was 15, um, I, I moved to a new town. I met a new friend. And after um, about six months of us being, friend, my, uh, being friends, my uh, friend said, hey, my, uh, my church is doing this weird thing. They're planting a new church, and the youth pastor is going to go and um, plant this church. And so we're getting this new youth pastor. Would you come to church with me? Like, I, like I'm nervous to, like, go meet this new youth pastor. Later I found out she was just looking for an excuse to invite me to church. So I started from that point on, this is more than I was going to tell you guys, but I started from that point on spending the night at my friend's house every Saturday night and waking up and going to church with her. And then my parents got to the point where they were like, we don't know if we want you to do this. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I woke up on Sunday mornings and I went to church anyway, which was like, we joke now that that was my rebellious streak was like sneaking out to go to church. So I tell people that I, um, I, 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 I knew Jesus, I knew about Jesus from the time that I was in third grade, but when I started attending that church, that's when I really met Jesus. The people in that church um, loved a very messy 15-year-old and um, went out of their way to show me the love and the hope of Christ. And so going to college, I felt like um, God was calling me to do the same thing for other people. And throughout my college experience, I began to sense that my call was really to be a missionary here in the United States. But I had no idea what that was going to look like. For some reason, church planting wasn't even on my radar. So in my early ministry, I was a lead pastor for a little while. I served in what we call compassionate ministries. I've worked with um, refugees throughout the country. I have served as a missions pastor. And about a year ago, 
there were some like literal fires where I lived in Oregon, and God used those fires to to prompt me to plant a church. God was saying, you're being disobedient, Dana. Go and do the thing that I've called you to do. It's a crazy story. I would love to tell it to you sometime when we have a little more time. Uh, so about a year ago, I started to pursue this calling to church planting, and my prayer through all of that was, God, send me somewhere where there's a genuine need. Like, there are so many faithful churches doing such good and faithful work. I'm not interested in going into some community and competing with what they're doing, but send me where there's a need, and a need that, like, I can actually help meet. And so God began to talk to me about Groveland. Groveland is a community right outside of Orlando, um, and they're growing right now by about 9% a year, which is wild. I don't know if you guys have heard the statistic or not, but there are 1,400 people a day moving to Florida. And a lot of that growth is happening in and around Orlando. And so Groveland is right now a fairly rural community, but all of the the projections, everything is showing that that's kind of where the growth is happening. So there literally are not enough churches for the amount of people that are there currently, let alone who will be there five years from now. And so um, the demographics of people that live out there are, are people groups that I have worked with. And so begin to pray about this community and really ask God the question, what does it look like for there to be a new church plant in a community where so many people are commuting in and out of Orlando. People are spending so much time in their cars. And God just said to me, Dana, I want you to, to put some roots down. I want you to create, um, create a space of worship in this community for this community. And so the church plant will be called uh, Mission 210. And that is a nod to um, Ephesians 210, which says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. As we were singing this morning, we were talking about Advent, and we're saying, like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. I'm, I'm reminded that in the meantime, while we're in this season of waiting for God to come back, God has commissioned his church to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. And so Mission 210, the, the, the heartbeat, behind this church plant is that we would be a place where people could come and discover that in God we have been created for good. That we are, we are created in the image of God and God has set us apart and set us aside and given us gifts and talents and passions to build his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're going to do that by helping people, um, kind of our, our, our mission statement is that we are going to in- encourage and equip people who have given up on God and the church to explore faith, connect with community, and persist in hope. We're going to do that by building relationships right now. I've spent, I've been here for about six months, and I've spent the whole time just like getting to know people. Um, I've got like 18 people that are interested in being a part of this. We're looking to start some small groups that kind of go out in the community and serve the community and have fun in the community and build relationships and just be present to remind people that they are loved by Jesus Christ. Our goal is to launch a worship service in the fall, in September of 2022. And uh, I would covet your prayers for that because, like, I don't know where we're going to be. I don't know. <laughs> like, there's so many details that are still coming together. I'm praying that God brings together the right people and that we uh, can faithfully serve Groveland and the surrounding area uh, through the hope and the love of Jesus. So um, would covet your prayers for um, relationship building, 
for some of the details to come together um, and then just that God would continue to lead the work that we're doing. I'm so grateful for this church and for the opportunity to be here this weekend. Thank you guys so much. Amen. I'm going to step on your toes. I want to pray for Dana. Uh, So if you want to reach out your hands or just pray with me, let's just pray that God will use Dana in a mighty way. So let's just take a moment right now. Jesus, we thank you that you have come to bring life. God, we thank you that you call us to be light and salt. And I thank you for the calling that you put on Dana's life. I thank you for the calling that you have put within her, this desire to worship you by by being bivocational, by having a job while she's starting a church and just doing the hard work of growing something where there is nothing. I thank you that you're the God that's with her. You're the God that is going before, and you have been laying the groundwork long before Dana ever accepted the call to come near Orlando, but you have been working, and your hand has been active, and God, I thank you for that. I pray that you'll be with Dana. I pray that you'll be with these 17 or 18 that are that are already coming alongside her. I pray that a new work will begin even now, and that as she looks towards a fall launch date in 2022, that the momentum will build and that hearts will be changed and lives will be saved and that your kingdom will advance. We love you, God. I thank you for my friend and colleague. I pray a blessing upon her life. I pray that you'll be with her and help her to sense even uh, even now just how very close you are. We love you and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 We get to continue in our uh, worship uh, with tithes and offerings. And uh, for those of you guys who don't know, there'll be a screen that pops up here in just a few moments uh, that shows you a couple different ways you can give online as well as some drop boxes in the back. But um, I'm just reminded in this time of how faithful God is to to, you know, to just everybody, you know, how faithful he is to the birds in the sky, the the you know, the trees, the you know, the the flowers to us as as people, Um, even in death, he is faithful to us. And so uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity to be able to give back to him and his ministry. And so uh, let's just pray for this time. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be able to give to you, Lord, and for your kingdom and for your glory and to further you in our ministry, in our lives uh, and in our hearts. Father, I pray this morning uh, that you would just speak to every heart this morning. Father, that, um, that you would just bless us with your presence. Lord, that you would... Hover over this church this morning, anoint this time, anoint this service, anoint Pastor Tim as he comes up to give the word, and be with us here, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.
as I was just reading that, I saw the part about reflection and waiting. I don't know about you, I don't, I don't really like waiting. Um, when I go to Disney World, I'm always tempted to buy Genie Plus to skip the line these days. I, I don't like waiting. And so this season leading up to Christmas and Advent, God really calls us to the time of waiting. Um, for those of you who may not know me, I know some of, some of you here today are snowbirds that are coming back. My name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. I specifically serve as the online pastor. So if you're online, welcome. I've been chatting with you this morning. If you're here in the room and you've been wondering who's that guy over there on his phone the entire time during the service, I was really working. I wasn't playing words with friends or anything like that. But uh, I'm so glad to be here today. I'm, I'm glad to be here in this spot. I haven't had the opportunity uh, to share the word of God with you this way here at Port Orange Nazarene. And uh, so glad for that. Um, this morning, we've lit the peace candle and we've sang songs about peace. And our scripture passage for this morning comes from Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, it's verses 1 through 6. You may be thinking, wait a minute, the Christmas story in Luke is not Luke chapter 3, that's Luke chapter 2. And you're right, that is the Christmas story, but Luke chapter 3 is the Advent story, if you will. So in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, it's now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was the ruler over Galilee, and his brother Philip was a ruler over Iturea and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. Just a little trick for you. They taught us in seminary, if you're not sure how to pronounce the names, just go with it and sound confident. So those may be right, they may not be. <laughs> uh, so anyway, verse 2. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, the message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. And then John went from that place and went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned to God and received forgiveness for their sins. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains and hills made level, the curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation from God. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That wasn't quite right. I don't do this well often enough. Anyway, when we think of, of Christmas, we think of Luke chapter 2, but... We're this morning in Luke chapter 3, and we're talking about peace. And when you think of peace and Christmas, you probably think of the song that we sung earlier, Away in a Manger, No Crib for a Bed. You think of the baby back there reflecting up on the cross, as Jason talked about. Perhaps the text for this morning on peace you thought would have been from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his names. That's the image of peace, sitting by a still water in a green pasture. Just you and God. Maybe some birds chirping in the background. But that's not the text for this morning. The text for this morning is a crazy man named John the Baptist who's out in a wilderness 
Have you been in a wilderness place? There are not green mowed fields of grass. It's, it's rough thickets. John is, is that wild man. He wears strange clothes. He eats strange things. They talk about him eating crickets and locusts. Um, and he's crying out to people to repent. He's probably literally screaming at people. That's not what I think of when I think of peace. We picture babies who don't cry. Shepherds and sheep who don't make a lot of noise. Not wild, loud calls for repentance. Yet John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 paints that picture of a time of peace borrowed from the prophet Isaiah. He describes that time when crooked paths are made straight. Where rough places are made smooth. It's an image of the day of the Lord. The people of Israel at that time longed for this. A day when all things would be made right. They longed for a day of peace. But again, this picture that John paints is not softly bleeding sheep and quiet babies. It's a picture of a hard journey. It's a picture of work and repentance that ultimately leads to the peace of Christ. We've shared that peace of Christ this morning, but there's work to do to truly participate in the peace of Christ. It's the kingdom of God coming to earth in unexpected ways. So in our passage this morning, Luke sets the stage by telling us specific rulers in specific places and specific times so that if we were students of history, we would know exactly when this is taking place. It would be roughly like saying about something that happened in the early 80s. In the kingdom of Ronald Reagan, when Gerald Ford was president, and, and you'd be setting it in that particular time, um, people would know what it was. It lists all of the political powers and rulers of the day. Even the religious high priests of the day are mentioned. Because it was through that political kingdom power that people expected the Messiah to come. They thought peace on earth would not come through the powers of the elite. They thought it would be through those powerful elite people that it would come. Through warfare or through the law. Or the person with the most firepower and the most clout would be the one that would bring peace. But we know that firepower and Authority and law is not the way of the kingdom of God. After this list of political rulers and powers in verse 1 comes verse 2. A simple little line. God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Dana, in your story, as you just told it, God's word came to Dana in Portland during fires. And like... Dana, John, acted on it. He went near the river from place to place, preaching, telling people they needed to repent and turn from their ways. You see, that, that little verse is calling people to the kingdom of God, the kingdom that's being created. It's not going to come through the political center of the world of that day. It's going to come through a prophet with very little clout or credibility. And although Luke 3 doesn't directly reference the birth of Christ, the previous chapter, Luke 2, does. And really, Luke, in writing this in this way, is constructing a dichotomy that the people of that day would have immediately gotten. Reading the, the, the Luke narrative in, in chapter 2 and the way that Christ was born 
and then coming in with Herod and, and all of the rulers of the day, they're like, he's, he's setting up like opposites so that we'll, we're going to get this. They would have read directly after that and highlight the contrast in the kingdoms. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ is not going to be like the kingdom of the world that they've just read about. It's not operating in the ways of the world with military power, violence, money, or control. It's very differently. The hearers of this original text also would have been very familiar with the idea of baptism. There were religious groups around in that day that had cleansing ceremonies involving water. When I was in Kansas City at seminary, I had the opportunity to volunteer at the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit. And there was this community called the Qumran community that had copied and written the word of God at that time, what we call the Old Testament, on the scrolls. It was impressive for me to get to be in the room with ancient copies of actual scripture. To see at times that where the person who was copying it made a little mistake and they crossed it out and they wrote up above the right word that they meant. While I was working there in the Dead Sea Scrolls exhibit, we also learned more about the Qumran community and how people who were coming into the community would pass through these baths in order to become clean and participate in the holiness of God. And they had separate baths where they would wash their dishes through them in order to present them as clean and worthy of being used. Um, if you think about water in the first century, it's not clean the way our faucets are, but it was ceremonial cleanliness uh, for the people there. And so as John is calling people to baptism, that's something they would be familiar with because out there in the wilderness is where the Qumran people were. The radical part of John's message wasn't in the act of baptism, but in what he was asking of those who became baptized. Later in chapter 3, he calls the people snakes. He's calling them to repent and come and join the kingdom, and he's attracting them by saying that they're snakes. I don't think that's the best marketing method to get people to come and join you. He's also telling them to stop relying on their heritage. Their family background, the people they were born into, is not how they're going to be a part of the kingdom of God. He tells them they need to repent They need to completely change what they're doing in order to come into the kingdom of God. This repentance would involve significant change for those people. We learn later in chapter 3 and verses 11, 13, 14, in that crowd there were tax collectors, there were soldiers. Tax collectors were known then, as we know from the story of Matthew, to be people who cheated people out of money. They would collect the tax and then a little extra for themselves. Okay, a lot extra for themselves. Um, there were soldiers. Those soldiers were the very representation of the empire of Rome in that community. The soldiers would harass people, and he's calling those soldiers to repent, to change their ways, and to participate in the kingdom of God. Rather than seeing people as a way to gain more money, or seeing people as someone who needed to be subdued into the kingdom of Rome, he calls them to see them as human people, as people that have worth. The contrast of these early kingdoms that we were talking about in the very first verse to the kingdom of God is important in understanding the way God is seeking to bring peace on earth and goodwill toward men. 
It's clear that what John preached and the way the people there responded was different than what was expected. The passage continues quoting Isaiah about a voice crying out in the wilderness, about paths being made straight, valleys being raised up, mountains being made low. It's a call to active and difficult peacemaking. Garen was joking during the announcements about being with your family and the arguments at Christmas dinner and things like that. Unfortunately for some, that is reality. And so the choice of whether to go to the family dinner or not is a choice toward active peacemaking. Now, I don't know about you. When I think of peace, I don't often think of earthquakes and volcanoes. But when you think about mountains being made low, valleys being raised up, crooked There's like seismic language going on here where things in the world are changing. Things are being shaken up. Uh, Back in 2002, that was 20 years ago, um, Debbie and Alex and I were living in Hawaii, and on a particular Saturday in July, we had made plans to go over to the Big Island of Hawaii. If you've been there, you know the Big Island is home to the volcano Kilauea. It's the most active volcano in the world today. And uh, we, we went over on Saturday. We'd originally planned to go on a Friday, but my boss called a work meeting, and so we couldn't go. We went the, the next day. Um, and when we got there on Saturday, we discovered that on Friday night, when we had originally planned to be there, fresh hot lava had flowed across the chain of Craters Road. So had we been there Friday night, we would have been right where there was active lava. Um, I've given the folks in the back some photos to see a little bit of what that volcano looks like. The first image is of the crater at the top of the mountain. Uh, The mountain obviously comes to a peak normally, but when the volcano erupted originally, that mountaintop was blown away, and the mountaintop is now laid low and has become a valley. The second picture is of, of a field of that volcanic lava that was there that night, uh, that day that we were there. And if you look closely in the center of the picture, you may be able to see a little dot of red lava. See, over the 24 hours since it had flowed, it's crusted over and is starting to make crooked paths straight, is to make valleys to be raised up. But in the center, there's still work going on in that hot lava. The next picture is an even closer shot of that red hot surface. As a matter of fact, the hot, the surface on the top was dark, but I was standing probably from here to the very front row away from that lava and could only stand there for a minute before I had to turn around and get some fresh air because it was so hot, it was so pungent, it was literally burning the inside of our nose. My daughter, who was second grade at the time, wanted to put her tennis shoe up on it. We're like, no, 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 it will catch on fire. Those little scruffs of brush caught fire shortly after I took this picture. And the final picture is God's creative work in bringing peace and making property at work. So this is out near the water. That volcanic shelf continues, but right under the surface, you know there's that red-hot lava that is making those crooked paths straight, and it's flowing into the ocean. And you see the steam coming up. God is still creating. Since I took this picture... 20 years ago, there have been thousands of acres of land added to the the Big Island. So volcanoes aren't a picture of peace, and neither really is the story of John. 
screaming in the wilderness, repent, change your ways, don't do what you've done before. It's not what I think of when I think of Christmas and wreaths and garland and trees. But when I think of Advent and the time of waiting and the prophet Isaiah saying, this is the one who's preparing the way of the Lord, um, it is an appropriate picture. Another picture or metaphor is of sandpaper. Sandpaper, as you know, is what we use to make things smooth. As Garen and I were moving the table out here, you're going to hate that I'm doing this, but there's a little scuff right up here. A little bit of sandpaper and a little bit of paint, we could take this rough place right here and make it smooth. Um, We often talk in our lives about, I'm going through a rough place, or I'm going through a rough time right now. And God's kingdom work is to make those rough places smooth. In the midst of the rough place, it may not feel good. I don't imagine if I was a piece of wood and had sandpaper scraping over me that that would feel good. But it leads me into a better state. Another image of the peace of, of God is a kingdom of peace brought in, being brought in the world. Um, we've noticed that repentance and baptism are not typical, but the kingdom of God is not breaking in in a gentle way, necessarily. But it's breaking in with some force, with power. There is work taking place as the kingdom of God comes in. Peace is not passivity. It's not just sitting there and not making war that is peace. Peace is active. The powers of this world have to be dismantled for the peace of God to become real in our world. We often speak of leveling the playing field as a way of generating peace. I had a chance during camp one year of playing a game of football with some friends, but the particular campground we went to was located on a hillside. And so we were playing football like this. And if you were going toward the goal that was on the downhill side, you had a definite advantage. So leveling the playing field is a way of creating peace and justice for people. The scripture also talks about crooked paths being made straight. In our days with Siri and ways and things like that, a crooked road is not too much of a problem. But in John's era, the roads kind of wound around and you never knew what lied around the bend. There could be a tax collector there with a booth set up charging you a tax to continue on the way and taking a little extra money. Or there could be soldiers or robbers sitting there waiting to harass you. This idea of crooked paths being made straight was an important message for the soldiers who were going to ultimately repent and turn to Christ. Rough places being made smooth might be an image we can better grasp. Um, as I am on here, this, this platform that I'm standing on right now is not exactly smooth. And if I was walking around a lot, I could trip over one of the rough places. But we know that that smoothing out process, like we talked before with the sandpaper, or when you think about volcanic lava flowing over, is not necessarily an easy task. The kingdom of peace is one that moves in toward action, toward others. 
looking out for the interests of others instead of the interest of ourselves, this type of peace can be a painful process. It requires sacrifice on our part. Even as we were talking about the Christmas offering, during these days, uh, even at McDonald's this morning, they asked me to make a contribution to the Ronald McDonald. Everybody is looking for a little bit extra these days. And uh, it's important that we invest our time and our resources in places that bring the kingdom of God. This is a story of the kingdom of God breaking into the world through ordinary people. John the Baptist was not listed in the list of rulers, whether in the kingdom of Rome or in the kingdom of the religious world. He was just an ordinary wild man out in the wilderness, eating bugs, preparing the path for Christ. I think of Grizzly Adams from back in the 70s on TV. Just just disheveled, a you know, cricket leg hanging in his beard or something. It's not pleasant. The crowds seeking baptism that were out in the community. If you were out in the wilderness, you weren't necessarily part of the in crowd. You were out there. And to hear John... Um, calling them to a different lifestyle um, caused them to reorient their lives. As we know, tax collectors were some of the worst of the sinners, but we know they were called to a new way. The soldiers were caught up in the Roman Empire. They had signed on for a job that maybe called for them to do things they didn't expect to do. And they were out there in the wilderness and they were seeking something new. Even our Messiah... He entered the world in a very ordinary way. A baby being born is not such an unusual or spectacular thing. And we, too, are called to this work of peacemaking. We're ordinary people located here in this time and place. We're called to this work to tell people that they need to repent, that they need to change their ways and be transformed. And that's not easy. But if we participate in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of peace, we may be able to just play a part in transforming the world around us. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It's not an image of babies who don't cry or of sheep resting in fields. Peacemaking may be closer to the image of a volcano that's changing the landscape. It violently interrupts our day and calls us to do something different than we had planned. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It's the image instead of a parent who makes the decision to break the cycle of abuse by doing the hard, smoothing work of therapy so that their child can grow up in a better home. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It's the image of civil rights leaders sitting at lunch counters and singing uh, this little light of mine and refusing to go back of the bus and marching on cities. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It's the image of a grandmother on her knees at night praying for her community and her family and her grandchildren. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It's an image of people who wash graffiti off of walls, who pick up trash on beaches without asking or expecting any kind of recognition. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It's church folks 
opening up their homes and hospitality to their neighbors, even when there's a risk from a global pandemic. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It's hard, everyday moments working for justice in a world that's so far from it. Reverend Olivia Metcalf says in our devotional book that we're working through this Advent series called Come Peasant King, uh, the path toward peace isn't easy. The path toward peace isn't smooth. The path toward peace is risky, takes courage, and challenges the broken realities of the world. For peace to come, we must get to the hard work of aligning a world made crooked by sin with the straight paths of the kingdom of God. For peace to come, there's creative work that makes valleys of despair into mountains of hope. For peace to come, there's repetitive work that sands away injustice to bring about the smoothness of equity. Without the work, without the challenge, and without upsetting the status quo, peace will not come. Peacemaking is not an easy task. It calls us to active work right here in Port Orange or wherever you live to bring the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world. And so we work. We work and pray to see the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. To see peace in our lives and peace in the lives of those people around us. We will work so that the world will know that the ultimate peace comes not from the kingdoms and powers of this world, but from the very heart of God. Let's take a moment now and pray together as the great peacemaker Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Well, if you haven't had a chance to grab some of the communion elements, we have some on the back table. Or if you hold up your hand, we'll get you some. Uh, how many of you, uh, I missed last week, coming back from up north. How many of you, uh, during your Thanksgiving time, tried saying, I'm breaking bread with this person in the name of Jesus, as we talked about? Um, I did many times because those roles were really good. But it is tough. And in this season, God is really asking us to break bread with those around us. And, and it comes in, in literal breaking of bread ways. And this, like this afternoon, we have a community parade where we are trying, or they are trying, many people in there, they're just trying to sell you something, right? You ever notice that in parades? It used to be a lot of fun, now it's just a bunch of, uh, hey, buy a house from me, or something like that. But what they're trying to do is foster relationship of some sort. In this season where that baby came down to be God in the flesh with us, he said, I want relationship with you. And so in all that we do in this season, 
Let's remember the relationship that came to us, seeking us. Whether, whether we were the, the super cool guy in high school like Drew, or a total loser like me in high school, God said, I want to be the relationship guy in both of your lives. I want to bring you together. There is something common that you all don't see until you come through me. And I remember that every time we do this. As Jesus looked at all the guys around him, as they were sitting there, they took that bread. So, He said, this bread I've, I've got... I, that we share often. From now on, when you eat this bread, remember me. Remember how I loved you. Remember that relationship I tried so hard to build with all of you and between you. So as we take this, let's remember him and that just ridiculous love that he has for us. Let's eat together in his name. They hadn't quite figured out what he was going to do yet. But he had the juice and he's like, this, oops, I just spilled some, don't look at that, Pastor. It makes the wood look more vintage and cool up here. He's like, all that sacrificing you all have been doing, I've got the ultimate one coming up. Because I love you guys so much, I'm going to give everything for you just to show you not just how much I love you, but that I I rule everything. You don't have to worry about a thing because this thing that you all are worried about, I'm not worried about it. I'm going to conquer it. So when you eat together, when you drink together, remember me and how I have taken care of all this stuff forever. So let's just remember as we drink together, Jesus is definitely in control no matter what kind of expectations are being broken in our lives right now. We can rely on him. Let's drink together and remember him. Father, we praise you. For there is none other like you. Nothing can compare to you. And may we constantly be seeing, remembering, hearing reminders of your love, of your presence. And may we also be just ambassadors of goodwill, love, joy, great community in your name in this season as we go out and we usher in the kingdom, this kingdom which is unlike anything else. We praise you, Father, in all things. Amen. Would you stand with me? As we head out, if you're visiting with us, we sing our benediction, and so uh, you're welcome. Just give us a second or, or join in as you know it. Um, as you leave today, um, we're going to be heading to the parade, and if you're heading there or if you're heading to a restaurant or wherever it is, um, I encourage you to be neighborly. Um, we're going to probably try to sit with uh, Jason and his family, but we're going to be talking to those people around us because our that's our mission field. And so we're going to be trying to connect with everybody sitting around us because we want to get to know them and we want to love them the way Jesus loves them. And so 
That's your challenge today. Will you sing with me? We sing hallelujah. Let your kingdom come in our hearts, in our homes. Let your will be done as we go in your name. We shout and we proclaim, let your will be done in us. Have a great week and we'll see you for week three, Joy, the Pink Candle.